You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Just a couple of things here. My wife asked me if she could have a little peace and quiet while she cooked dinner. So I took the battery out of the smoke alarm. (laughs) My mama said, get you a confident fella. I heard convicted felon. My bad. (laughs) I might, I don't know. I've probably read a lot of these to you before. I want to lose weight, but I don't want to get caught up in one of those eat right and exercise scams. (laughs) This is just one more. My husband asked if he had any annoying habits, and then he got all offended during the PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) Okay, you can open your Bibles. We will probably get there at some point. You can, uh, I'm introducing a new subject, and you know how that goes. So uh, you can open your Bibles over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're not there yet. That's that's not true. Um, okay, so I do have quite a lot of preface to this, so we'll just get whatever we can out of it today with the time we have left. So uh, for a number of weeks, uh, the Lord's been speaking to me about the subject of staying on course, and I've made some references to you in the past weeks about kind of where we are uh, as as a church, not just us as the church, but the church, and especially I'm more familiar with the Western church than churches throughout the world, but I have friends in churches throughout the world and that travel throughout the world, so I hear a lot about um, all of that too. But we're going to, as we get into this, uh, we're going to look at a number of things from the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, and uh, we call those pastoral epistles, really. And so I want to just give you a little bit of background for those of you that don't know uh, who Timothy was. So Timothy, on Paul's first missionary journey, um, they went out and they went to a town called Lystra. And they they had meetings there and people got saved and a church was started. And uh, two of the people that got saved, there were two women that got saved, a, a mother and her daughter, and uh, the mother's name was Lois, and the daughter's name was Eunice, and Timothy was Eunice's son, okay? So so Eunice is his mother, Lois is his grandmother. And so they were some of the first converts in that region that Paul uh, had in that, in that area. And then when he came back on his second missionary journey, then here this year, and Timothy was a real young man when Paul met him, when he came back, Uh, Timothy was a big part of the church there in Lystra, and he was really commended by the church there as um, a real solid believer and a a real leader in the church. And so Paul, uh, just through the leading of the Holy Spirit, invited Timothy to be a part of his team and begin to travel with them. And there are two people we read about in the New Testament, one's Timothy and one's Titus, that were sort of Paul's troubleshooters. Titus especially. When you read the book of Titus, it is no joke. I mean, he, he sent Titus to the worst places with because he was strong. You can tell that he, he was strong. He wouldn't put up 
with anything. He was there to fix the problem in the church and, and deal with different heresies and different things that were going on in that day. Timothy, uh, Paul sent many places. He took letters. He, he carried things back and forth. He spent time, again, troubleshooting and fixing problems in churches, establishing leadership in churches. And he ended up being the pastor of the church in Ephesus, which was one of the biggest, most prominent uh, cities and churches at that time. And Timothy ended up being the pastor there. But so, so here's, this, here's this man. He was a young man, but, you know, name's Timothy. Uh, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, uh, in chapter 1, he refers to, in fact, I'm just going to go there uh, real quick. He, he refers <clears throat> to Timothy's faith in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 5, Paul says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. It means that Timothy had an unqualified faith. It wasn't a sometimes faith. It wasn't a, you know, he had a solid faith in God. And this is interesting. He says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded it now lives in you also. So this is a, a man that had the advantage of a generational faith. God does build generationally. And and so it, it's, you know, not all of us grew up in families that were full of faith. But if you grew up in a family that was full of faith, it really does. It gives you an advantage. You've got, it's like you're starting out ahead as long as at some point that faith becomes yours. You know, because we all know people have grown up in strong Christian homes and everything and, and veered off and gone off and, and all of that, that can happen. But as long as at some point that faith becomes yours, it's like you have this whole foundation that some of us uh, didn't have growing up. And, the, and that was Timothy. He was a man of generational faith. And Paul goes on in verse 6 here. He says, for this reason, I'm re- I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So here's this, here's this man, and, and so just the resume. He was, a, he was a person of generational faith. He was a person that was commended by the church, the local church that he was in, because he stood out as a leader in that church. He was somebody Paul discipled personally. Can you imagine being discipled by the Apostle Paul? He was somebody that Paul invited by the Holy Spirit to come on to his team. Paul and his team laid hands on Timothy to, uh, to uh, anoint him and commission him for the role that he would play. And at that point, there were prophecies that were spoken by Paul and members of his team as they prayed and the, over Timothy. And those prophecies kind of laid out the direction. They, they told the direction of Timothy's ministry. They, they gave instruction. They empowered him by the laying on of, of my hands, Paul says. So here he is. He's raised up. He's, he's ministering with this team that's going around the world, absolutely changing the Greek and Roman world at that time. Paul was assigned, just like Peter was assigned to the Jews, Paul was assigned to carry the gospel into all of these regions. And the world has been transformed by what Paul did. Paul also wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So this guy is his disciple. 
with all of that and with the trust that Paul obviously had in him, Paul comes back and reminds that guy that he needs to fan into flame the gift that is in him. He needs to, he says, by the laying on of my hands. Obviously, the gift comes from the Lord. Our gifts come from the Holy Spirit. But Timothy had, in fact, and Timothy was, um, he had a Greek father and a, and a Jewish mother, okay? And, and so he was, you know, he was, uh, I don't know if you'd call that mixed race or not, but it was, you know, it was Greek and, and Jew. And so when they went out to minister, he had never, he, he followed, he knew the law, he followed his mother's religious leanings before they all got born again. But his father had never let him be circumcised. And so when Paul took him, they were going to go out there ministering to so many Jews, and it was offensive to them to have a Greek ministering that had not been circumcised. So not because he felt like it made a difference in the guy's spiritual life, but to not offend people, Paul circumcised Timothy, made sure that he was circumcised. So I mean, that's that's a fair amount of commitment, okay, for an, for an adult man. <laughs> so So with all of that, Paul writes and reminds Timothy that he has to do something to keep that gifting alive. Yes, he was gifted by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed. There were prophecies spoken over his life. But Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, fan into flame the gift that's in you. And the same, it's got to be true for us. If it was true for him with all of those qualifications, it's got to be true for us. All right, so let's go, let's go, I'm not done with the preface, but let's go back to um, chapter one here. You guys, you know, you've been around here long enough, you know how it is when I'm starting one of these. We just kind of want to lay some foundation today and talk about some things. But so this is, these are the verses we're primarily going to look at today. Um, in verse 18, 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. So this is another letter to Timothy. This is the first letter to Timothy. Paul's giving him this instruction. The NIV says instruction. Really, uh, the word is a command or a charge. And we'll talk about that later. I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Okay, shipwrecked their faith. And that's what I want to talk to us about over the next few weeks is how to stay on course and not end up shipwrecked in our day. So I want to draw some similarities. In in, uh, the time when Paul was ministering and they were going from place to place, they had opposition from religious people. They had opposition from the Jews, okay, first of all. And uh, they would go and they'd preach Jesus and people would get saved. And there was a group, you can read about it in other letters that Paul wrote to the various churches. There was a group he called the Judaizers who came along to towns after Paul left. They would come in, they'd say, hey, it's okay that you believe in Jesus, but you also need to keep the whole law and keep all the Jewish feasts, 
Okay, And so they were trying to bring people back under legalism from the freedom that they had in Christ. So that was one form of opposition. And Paul says some really strong, the whole book of Galatians addresses that, says some very strong things about that. Well, I have friends. I have people that I love that are good friends and were, have been friends for years and years. And uh, at a point, you know, it's been a while now, but there was a, there was a, a wave that went through the body of Christ where people decided, Christian people decided and were convinced that they had to go back and not just appreciate what we have in the Old Testament, not just appreciate the picture that, I mean, those feasts paint an incredible picture of who Jesus is for us. The law gives us certain things about the nature of God and in other places just teaches us that, man, I am so thankful for a Savior and thankful for grace that we don't live just under law and judgment. We have grace. You know, I mean, there's so much and and we appreciate all that and we appreciate the roots that we have of Judaism that came and brought our Savior, you know, came down through David and came down, that seed came down to Jesus Christ so all of us could be saved. We appreciate all that. But these folks got convinced that they had to actually go back to be a complete Christian. You've got to go back and you've got to come under the law and you've got to practice the feasts and you've got to do this stuff. And they're still living that way. And so, I mean, those waves, just like happened at the time of the book of Galatians, they come through the church. And they will shipwreck people's faith. If you get pulled off on one of those waves and you get out of the word of God and who Jesus is and the gospel as written in our Bibles, if you get off of that, if Timothy, if Paul's warning Timothy, that if you let go of some things, You can end up, like these other folks, shipwrecked, okay, with your faith shipwrecked. If Paul's warning Timothy, I think we need to take that warning seriously, okay? So in their day, there were were this religious opposition. In our day, there's religious opposition. In their day, there was governmental opposition. The, The Romans, you didn't, you know, you go out and preach another king, and you end up in prison. Paul ended up in prison several times, and he was a Roman citizen. Okay, they were they were burning Christians at the stake. They were doing all kinds of. There was governmental opposition. We have governmental opposition. We have it in this nation and certainly around the world. There are still places where the church is underground. There are places where, you know, we know missionaries that go there and they can't talk about it because. People will get killed if they find out that there are these underground churches and where they are. That's still a reality today, okay? And that was going on in their day. So things have, I mean, things have changed, but things haven't changed. We've grown up in a really insulated place, most of us. But I want us to realize the warnings that are given to the people in the New Testament, they apply to us too, okay? They apply to us too. We have waves that are coming through the body of Christ. We have, you know, right now, I think one of the most destructive ones that's going through is is uh, what's known as the emergent church. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. It's a it's an idea. It's a group of people that they they proclaim Christ. They say they're Christians, but basically the doctrine that they hold is one of relativism applied to the Bible. It just says, you know, in fact, the... Um, well, some of the statements that they make is, you know, people people like me preach 
objective truth. The truth is truth. I didn't decide what it was. You didn't decide what it was. God decided what truth is. And we conform to his truth. His truth doesn't conform to us. But these, these, the teaching in the emergent churches, no, no, the, the, um, the truth is it's more like a, a trampoline. And as you put the weight of your life on, it conforms to you. It conforms to your weight. It conforms to your society. It becomes what you need it to be. And they preach the idea of deconstructing your faith is the cool term these days, which means you, and this has been going on for a while. This isn't new. But, you know, you look at everything that you think you've learned from the Bible. You pick it all apart and, and you refit it. You rebuild it to fit you. Because your truth is your truth. All it is is the philosophy of relativism that we've been warning about for 40 years applied to the gospel. But it's it's what Paul would have called another gospel, a a counterfeit gospel. And it's out there. And a lot of believers are, are falling for it. In the Western church, we are another thing that we're seeing. It, so we're seeing people go off uh, and, and become shipwrecked in these things. I've known a number of people who have gone this way and, and I've watched their lives and I've seen where they end up and they end up back in addiction and they end up back in rehab and they end up back in all the stuff that Jesus pulled them out of 30 years ago because it's not, they're not following the Jesus of the Bible. They are creating a Jesus that looks like them. And I'm just being real, you know, I, I don't like to spend a lot of time talking about this stuff. It's out there. But I do want you to be smart about what you're listening to. Because some of those things, they sound really good. I mean, there are some just charismatic, fun to listen to people preaching this stuff. And we're seeing people either end up just, they're just not walking with Jesus anymore. Or just the other thing we're seeing in the Western church is this isolation. This, I'm just going to meet with a couple people that I like and don't have any fights with today. And we're going to meet in my house and we're going to call that our church. Or, uh, you know, I just don't need church. I don't need to be a part of church. I'm just, you know, going to do my own thing. I love Jesus, you know, and I'm just going to do my own thing. But that's not what we see in the Bible. And, and the interesting thing, I'll say this and try to get off of this. I've got a good friend, Troy Carl, uh, who is the head of International Scripture Ministries, and we support them as a church on a monthly basis. And their deal is that they are, their goal is to get the Bible on audio in every language on earth. There are several groups doing that. And these guys are fixed on the newest technology. And where you sit down with him and he says, well, but in five years or 10 years, your cell phone's going to work this way. Not like it works now. It's going to, I mean, they are looking ahead and they are saying, how can we get the Bible into the hands of every individual on earth that wants it? How can we make it available? Easy, free. How can we deliver it right to them? They don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to do anything. My question, we sat down at lunch um, after Christmas down in Albuquerque talking, and I said right away, being a pastor of a local church, I said, so you deliver the Bible to every person. I'm all for that. That's why we support you. However, what will you do then? 
Are you doing anything to encourage people to gather around that? Or is this just going to feed the isolation? And he said, you know, this isolation deal is a uniquely Western problem. Everywhere else in the world that we go, when people get saved, they automatically begin to gather to worship. They automatically begin to gather around the scriptures. They automatically begin to pull in. But in the Western world, we're watching people go home. We're watching people isolate. And I can promise you today, I am not telling you this because I just want more people in church. I do want more people in church, but that's not the point. The point is church is God's plan. The gathering of believers, I know it can be defined different ways, but the gathering of believers for worship, the gathering of believers to pray and for fellowship and to have each other's back and to come along sometimes and say, you know what? That's not a good direction for you to go. That gathering of believers has been God's plan all along, okay? So it's, there are things out there just like there were in their day. It's no different. And so all the warnings, all the encouragements, all the things that we see in the scripture, we need to take those seriously right now because we're in a really, I, you know, this is, I, I say all that, this is not an unusual season for the church to be in, but it's an unusual season for most of us because we haven't been through it. We haven't seen this level of people just kind of, fading and every one of those are people that God loves. And so we want to do everything that we can to help you stay safe and then for us to be an effective group of people that carry the presence of Jesus into every aspect of the society. And let me say this and then we'll look at the scripture, okay? Having said all of that, all right, I want to say this to you. I am not discouraged by any of that. In fact, people get mad at me because I'm not discouraged by any of that because the church has been here all of its existence. There's nothing that uh, the devil's done. There's nothing that governments have done. There's nothing that anything, you know, that any other power, any other throne, okay, has done that can stop Jesus from building his church. And I fully believe in my heart that we're entering into another great awakening, if you want to call it that, another time of revival. We're seeing, and we're seeing it, we're seeing individuals just getting on fire for God for no good reason, (laughs) that have been walking along with God, but all of a sudden, man, the Holy Spirit is doing some things in there, rising up to a new place. We are seeing people getting saved. We are seeing people all over this country, all over the world. And so I don't want you to hear any of that. I'm not trying to say, oh my gosh, we're, you know, this is just terrible. And we just, Jesus, come rescue us. I don't believe that. I believe we are supposed to be right in the face of the devil. And we are empowered. We are full of the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. We are his hands and feet in this earth. We are the ones that can change uh, things, society, cultures. But first of all, we got to stay on track and then we have to be out there and we need to bring that life that we all enjoy so much to our friends and to our neighbors. And and so so don't hear any of that. I'm just saying 
I'm just trying to make this relevant that, you know, we're going to read what he says here and his warning to Timothy. And here Timothy is this incredible man of God. And yet Paul takes the time to warn him. Well, we face the same things. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Is that enough foundation? All right. We should read the Bible. Okay. So here we are. So, so he warns here, and I'll just bring out a couple things here. He starts us out and he says, Timothy, my son. Okay, so they had this relationship. Timothy wasn't Paul's physical son, but he was his spiritual son. Paul had discipled Timothy. And every one of us needs spiritual fathers and mothers. There need to be people in your life that are farther along in their walk with God than you are that speak into your life. And yeah, I have one role in that as your pastor, but I mean, you need people in, in your life. And, and God will bring that about, but we have to allow it, okay? We have to allow that. We have to open our hearts to having the word spoken into our lives. But this whole thing of having spiritual mothers and fathers, having people that, that are farther along, that can speak into our lives and that help us grow, that's an important part of what we see in the scripture that, again, we as Americans, we aren't always real comfortable with that. And it's something to consider and think about. And he says, again, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies that were made about you. So we're going to see that what he means there is the instruction, the charge that I am giving you is going to come right alongside what was spoken over you by the Holy Spirit. And it's going to undergird and strengthen and remind you of what the Holy Spirit's already said to you. And he says, so that by following them, we'll see what that, uh, there's a lot of, uh, we, we need to dig out some words here, but by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on, notice, holding on to two things, holding on to faith and holding on to a good conscience. All right, we're probably not going to get there today, but we're going to dig into what that means. He's saying, these are really important things. I'm charging you. I'm entrusting this to you, that you need to hold on to faith. All right, so that means there are, there are things that will try and remove faith from us or remove us from faith. You need to hold on to faith and you need to hold on to keep a good, clean, clear conscience. All right. Again, I know we're not going to get there today, but, and, and he says, some have rejected these, rejected these, what? Rejected faith and rejected, and, it, and that word rejected means they've shoved them away from themselves. They've, they've pushed them away, faith and a clear conscience. Okay, those two things, they have pushed them away. And because of that, so have shipwrecked their faith. So let's talk about shipwrecks just for a minute. Lord, as I've been meditating on this, the Lord just put some of these in my, in my heart. Think about a shipwreck. Shipwrecks generally occur when a ship, you know, a ship, it means a ship ran aground on something. Okay, it, it, it ran aground somewhere. It, it hit some rocks. It got into shallow water. It's usually because either there were errors in steering the ship or in choosing the course, right? They, they went to the wrong place or they made errors in steering. Okay, something like that. Or maybe a storm came and drove the ship off course. 
and they ended up, and they ended up in one or two places. They ended up either in shallow water. Okay, so we think about our faith. We would be moving from a deeper walk with God to a shallower walk with God, where it means less to us. We're just not getting very deep in the word. We're not really spending time with the Lord. This is, this is, this is not shipwrecks. And I think this is up on your screen. Shipwrecks feel like they happened in a moment. When you run aground, some of you may have run aground in a boat. I've run aground in a boat. It's a surprise, okay, generally. Or you see it coming a little ways ahead, but it's too late. And and so so you run aground and it feels like, oh, this happened in an instant. But but the one day when I was meditating on this, the Lord said, a shipwreck is not something that happens in an instant. It is the end of a slow drift off course into the rocks, into shallow water, into whatever. It's the end of a trajectory. Okay, so that trajectory started on course. And think about this with me this morning. We're not going to go to any of these scriptures because I don't have time. But think about this with me this morning. The Bible talks about our walk with God. It talks about it as running a race. Talks to us about finishing a race. Talks to Paul said at the end of his life, you know what? I have finished my race. Bible tells us that in several places that we need to not just begin and not just run, but we've got to actually finish on the course. When you go, and we've, we've done this in some of the races we've done. Um, well, I haven't, but some people in this room have that shall remain nameless, uh, have gotten off course in a race. And when you get off course in a race, you generally you get, depending on the race, you get disqualified, okay? Because you got off course. Okay, and so it's so those kind of terms are used. Our our um, our walk with God is Paul describes it in a couple of places as as a fight, as a battle, as a good fight, but something that we have to win. Something again, we have to finish. We need to make it all the way to the end of. We're told over and over in the book of Hebrews that we need perseverance. We need the character trait of being able to stay on course and continue doing what God set us to do. That theme is all through the New Testament. Well, it wouldn't be there if we didn't have to pay attention to it, if there weren't forces coming against us to try and drive us off course. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit, I, I don't like the term, it's not like he's begging us exactly, but I mean, he's, he's pleading with us throughout the New Testament to be sure we're staying on course and we're running well. And we're doing, that comes down to running a course well. There's a, there's a truth there about staying in your own lane, finding out what your lane is and focusing on that. There's a truth there in our faith that there is, there's a specific course and a specific purpose that God has for your life. And you aren't responsible for somebody else's course and you don't really get to, Pick somebody else's course because you think that lane would be more fun. The Lord, and I think it's because he's the Lord, uh, sets out that course for us. And it's the best course for every one of us. It's the best lane for us to be in. He put gifts and talents and abilities in you. He's speaking into your life. He's bringing his word. He'd speak prophecies over you so that you can be equipped to run that race well. But it's running a race. It's fighting a fight. It's all of these, there are all of these terms that are used. And so 
So he said, you know, uh, shipwrecks don't happen in an instant. They're the final stage of an errant course, okay? Often a long, this is what I wrote down when felt like he was speaking to me the other day, often a long trajectory of small errant inputs that end up either in shallow water or running into, get this, an avoidable object. When you run into a rock out in the middle of the water, you could have missed it. It is an avoidable disaster, okay? But we get slowly off course. And that's what Paul's saying in those verses. He says, by letting go, not holding on to faith, and not holding on to a good conscience, people ended up shipwrecked. Okay, shipwrecks are often the result of pilot error. Okay, let me back up. Sometimes this trajectory begins because of the forces of a storm. All right, and four of those storms that happened to all of us, we experience a loss, we experience a disappointment. People will disappoint you. We experience a betrayal, we experience an offense. Those are things that can come into your life that if you let them, they can drive you off course. Let me speak to that just for a minute. If I haven't made you mad, maybe this will do it. Uh, So we hear a lot of, I've been disappointed by people in the church. I've been hurt by people in the church. And you you may very well have. There There are people, listen to the rest of your sentence, there are people in the church. That explains this, okay? I bet you've been disappointed or hurt by people at work. I bet you've been disappointed or hurt by people in your family, but we have this expectation that should never happen in the church. Well, guess what? The church is a big family full of imperfect people, full of imperfect leadership, full of imperfect people. And probably, and this is what, if get your toes out here, uh, if probably you've disappointed people in the church and you've hurt people in the church, we all need to grow up and learn to listen or learn to live with this, okay? I heard one pastor say recently, guy I really enjoy listening to because he just slapped you when he needs to. Uh, he said, is there a solution to offense? He said, yeah, it's called grow up, okay? So, so I think that's a very relevant <laughs> statement. It's no fun to be hurt, no fun to be disappointed. Wish it never happened, but it does. And if you're going to let that drive you off course from where God has you, you're the one that's going to end up on the rocks. Okay, so so just we got to learn to navigate those things. You know, loss can push you aside. Disappointment, all those things, they can push you aside. But we need to learn to navigate those things. And then many shipwrecks are the result of pilot error. Okay, which means ignoring or failing to see lighthouses, channel markers, red flags, you know. The Holy Spirit's really good. We're getting distracted, not paying attention. All of a sudden we figure out, oh, I'm not where I used to be, you know. We've all done this to some degree. I mean, none of our courses are going exactly straight. But what we don't want to do is just continue bad doctrine, whatever it is. We can walk this thing out with the Lord. We can live our lives and not be shipwrecked. And we can pull some of our friends off the shoals. We can pull some of our friends before their lives are destroyed. We can pull them back on track 
And God will give you the anointing to do that. God will give you the words to do that. There are people you get to talk to I'll never get to talk to. There are people you get to reach and you're anointed to reach. God's filling you to reach that I'll never reach. I'll never see, you know, or if or if they come in here, then maybe I'll have a part in that. But you know what I mean? We all have a sphere of influence and we are anointed. Every New Testament believer is full of the Holy Spirit and anointed of God to go out and have their part in spreading the gospel around the earth. So we're going to look at some of these instructions to Timothy. We're going to pick them apart because there's a lot, especially there in the New International or any translation you read, there's some strong statements in those two verses that can really help us in a, in a practical way. Stay away, from the, stay, stay away from the notes. Got to quit. But just take those two things out with you today that Paul's coming along and he's saying, I'm, I'm coming to remind you, I'm giving you, I'm entrusting you with a really important principle here. So whatever the Lord is speaking over us, whatever words he has given us, whatever he has highlighted in our Bibles, whatever prophecies have come to us, we're not going to let go of those. We're going to hold on to those, okay? Because those are going to empower us to do and to stay on course and do what the Lord has us to do. So we're holding on to the word of God. We're not letting it go and we're going to hold on to and learn how to develop strong faith. We're going to let the Lord build that stronger and stronger in us. And we're going to learn how to keep a clear conscience. And it's not real hard. It's not really real hard. We just have to understand it. Does that help you at all? All right, let's stand up and pray today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Father, as as we leave this place today, Lord, again, that phrase just keeps coming back to me. We gather as the church so we can go out there and be the church. And every one of us, that's the purpose of this, is, yes, to worship you first. But, Lord, to be equipped to go out there and be the church of Jesus Christ in this day that you've called us. You've set us in this time, in this century, in this culture. And Father, I know and we all know that you have a purpose in doing that. There is a purpose for every one of our lives. There is a sphere of influence for every one of our lives. And Lord, we accept that today and we do it with joy because we know that you equip us for what you have called. Lord, you don't call and then thrust us out. You call and then you walk through it with us. And so, Lord, we embrace the Holy Spirit walking out into our jobs, our relationships, our friendships, whatever it is we're going to do this week. Lord, we we embrace the Holy Spirit being with us and in us in every one of those settings. We believe, Lord, you give us the words to speak that bring life, the words of life for the people that we interact with. We believe that we are a light in dark places. We believe, Lord, we go out there with a purpose because we are the church of Jesus Christ in the earth today. And so, Lord, we thank you for all of that. And for any of us, Lord, wherever we might be drifting right now, wherever we might be getting pulled aside by something, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask, Holy Spirit, shine the light on it. Show it to us so that we can let it go. And we remind ourselves of who you are and what you've said and what our purpose is today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. All right. Almost. Was really way closer than last week. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, what are we doing? We're closing. We're going to say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord. I have Gary's fingers today. I miss those fingers. Let's do it. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.